on with the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody out there in Voices of Mystery Land? This is the nerd here, and I am very excited today. I've been wanting a comedian on the show for a very long time. And you know us, we do things big. We don't go small. We go to the funniest guys out there that we can find. And this man out here is from a place that I'm from. I'm, I'm from New York, New Jersey, like I said. So we're going to have a very interesting conversation. Whenever you get two of us in a room, it gets very loud. So this podcast, you may want to turn your volume down a little bit because we are some loud son of a bitches in the Northeast. Ladies and gentlemen, New York funny man, Greg Criticos, how you doing, my friend? Mr. Nerd, how are you, man? Wow, excellent, man. Very good. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I've been looking forward. I mean, when I heard the title, uh, Misery, Voices of Misery, I was like, this guy must have loved my, because I had that voice that I actually, you know, a lot of misery in this voice, a lot of depth, a lot of deep misery, but uh, very excited to be here, man. Hey, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on, and thanks for coming on here. And I just want the people out there to know that we're doing a video conversation, and you guys know that I don't do video very often. And it's, it's you know what, I feel very brave, because you're a comedian, and you're seeing my ugly mug. Please don't rip me apart. <laughs> One of the things that I, uh, being as a comedian, I don't heckle on people. I really don't. Um, you know, because why should I heckle somebody that comes and supports me on my shows and stuff? And in New York, it gets kind of bad at times. I've been to shows where, like, you know, guy got heckled, rushed the stage. The next thing you know, they're brawling, you know. So, I don't, and, you know, being, uh, well, you're going to find out anyway. I used to be very, very big at one point. So, you know, at 385 pounds, I went down to 200. I lost 100. I lost the whole human, you know. And uh, <laughs> pop, 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 this. But, you know, people would heckle and say things. So, when you're heckling me. What I would do is I would heckle myself, but I'm not a big fan of the heckle. I don't like to make fun of people, but you do have a nice, uh, I can see, did you polish the head today? Did you? Uh, I did. I did. There I'm you like, go, man. Good for you, bro. Good looking guy, bro. Oh, thank you. Bald is in these days. Bald is in, you know, yes. or whatever you want. Or the, or the horseshoe. I don't want to get that, that deep, but the horseshoe too, you know. I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors here at, at uh, freedomgrooming.com. I want you guys to go check out because I do have a great bald head, and it's because of them that I can keep this thing maintained. <laughs> man, you're a naturalist. You're, you're a naturalist. We already got the plug out the way. This is great. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, man. This is beautiful. This is great. So, uh, yeah, so I am from New York. Okay. Uh, I am uh, uh, originally born in Athens, Greece. Greece, New York, and, uh, oh, yeah, Greece, New York, that's good. So I, I immigrated to the United States, my family and I, in 1971, and we landed in Astoria, Queens, very well-known Astoria, Queens, mm -hmm. which is really getting gentrified now. But when we got to Astoria, we moved on 45th Street and 30th Avenue, and my father was like, all right, we're going to make the move now. After about a year and a half, we're going to move. We packed up every day, and it was, I was all excited because... I didn't fit in. I couldn't speak English. I figured, like, you know, I'd get the hell out of here. We packed up. We got in the truck and er, two blocks over, 43rd and 30th Avenue. I was like, what the hell? That was a big move. So <laughs> I've been in the story all my life, you know. Mm -hmm. 
How is New York these days? Because I used to live up there. And we moved my, my, my wife and I moved down here in South Carolina about five years ago. And when we left New York, it's a hell of a lot different than it is now. It used to be this great place, a lot of culture, a lot of food, a lot of just when you think of New York, you think of just a lot of fun. There's a lot of shit to do. Right. Ever since the pandemic happened, it's, yeah. it's like, how, how is it? it? Well, it's kind of rough. New York uh, went through a lot of bad stages and it still is. I mean, I'm not a fan of de Blasio, you know, de Blasio Ooh. and Cuomo, these two idiots, dumb and dumber. They oh. have totally destroyed New York City. And just a couple of days ago, uh, Dick Blasio, uh, he actually made a statement that uh, New Yorkers should prepare for a very violent summer. Which it's like stirring the pot. What are you doing, you idiot? You know what I'm saying? So that's all they yeah, do. New, yeah, exactly. You know, but yeah, I mean, they got the outside uh, extensions now for the restaurants, which is didn't make any sense. They didn't want you indoors, but they built these like enclosed outdoor indoor restaurants, which didn't make sense anyway. <laughs> and they're all over 30th Avenue, all over Manhattan. Manhattan's been like a ghost town. Um, I was there yesterday with my girl. Shout out to uh, Eleanor. I love you, baby. Shout um, out to Yeah. We were, um, took a walk down the village from the East Village. We walked to the West Village. I don't know if you're familiar with the village. Yes, and sir. it was packed. There was people everywhere. Now, Times Square, which I like to call it the cesspool of, like, you know, uh, entertainment, <laughs> because that's where you got all your book, you know, your promoters, your, your barkers. Barkers are people that bark. They yell out, hey, go to the show, whatever. It's still, like, pretty empty. And that's where they get most of the crowds when the tourists come in. Mm -hmm. That's where people sell their tickets for Broadway shows, comedy clubs, wherever you want to do. And for the most part, Times Square has been really bad. And crime, a lot of crime now yes. in New York. So since that, yeah, I mean, it's a totally... If they would have told you, nerd, uh, 10 years ago that, hey, you know, 2020... Or 2019, you know, we're all going to wear masks. And we're going to be like, what are you, out of your mind? And sure, <laughs> it, it happened, you know. Thank God we didn't have to walk around with giant condoms over our heads. And, like, you know, you know it's, it's insanity with masks and all that. But hoping for the better, you know. Uh, and it's changed a lot. Yeah, a lot of a lot of everything, man. A lot of craziness. A lot, a lot of, you know, people. And a lot of people are still afraid. They don't want to come out. They're afraid because... That's what New York, the Cuomo and the Black, they instilled this this fear to people. Yeah. And I hope for it, I hope it just finally passes once and for all. I did lose my pops. He was in a nursing uh, uh, a home. Uh, we had him like an extended healthcare home. And once this hit, we, he passed away in March 2019. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I just lost my mom a couple weeks ago. So, um, I oh, feel... Michael Donaldson. I'm so sorry to uh, hear that, you know. Oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, okay. but, uh, yeah but, I mean, all we could do is just hope for the best, you know what I mean? And, exactly. and that's it. But New York, slowly but surely, it's supposed to be opening up because they say open, but open yeah. what? What's open? <laughs> you know? It's it, it, it's such a weird parallel when you think about New York, and I lived there for quite a while, and now I live in South Carolina, and, and of course, you're in a blue state, I'm in a red state. It's such a different lifestyle. I mean, up there, people are just horrified. Down here, people don't give a shit. And no. we're doing okay. We're doing fine. Like, we yeah. never really subscribe to the mass theory. People just do what they want. I mean, it's the South. You get your guns, you shoot them, you do what the fuck you want. <laughs> and everything is fine. 
And yeah. the thing about it is like the media are the ones that are really stoking the flames because they don't look at states like Florida, South Carolina. They don't look at Texas. They don't look right. at the success stories. They don't want to even acknowledge that. Uh, the guys on TV just said, like, cases are going down. Deaths are going down. We're okay. But what do you see on the other news channel? You see, oh, no, you guys have to keep wearing these goddamn masks. You're going to kill everybody. Things are going to get worse. The variants, the variants. They're giving cute little names like Delta, variant Delta. They're just trying to keep us afraid. It's, it's such bullshit. War makes money since the beginning of, man, of time. So they constantly keep us in that war, man. They they want to, like, you know, tell us this and that. And, you know, when it comes to the media, man, I'm really, you know, I I see a lot of shit that's going on. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, there's no harmony. You know, God forbid you wake up one day and they have, like, a beautiful picture of the sun. And beautiful day today. Come out and enjoy the weather. Mm -hmm. No, no. It's more like he killed this one. He pushed this one into the subway. Uh, be careful. Wear your mask. I see people driving in their cars and all you see is rubber bands. They got two feet masks across their head. <laughs> like a tampon. They got a beanie. Uh, they're like wrapped up in like, I'm like, what are you doing? You idiot. What are you doing? Are you out of your, you're all by yourself in the car. Yeah. Oh my God, it's insanity, and they want to keep continuing to instill that, you know, that that uh, that fear in people. That's that's what they do. And I was it's sad. Yeah. Now I was at the liquor store the other day, right? And this guy, and 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 you know, the people out there, we only do the audio podcast, but I'm going to show you here, right? So there was like a square. It was about this big, right? right. That's all it was. Just just a plastic square, and there was nothing on either side. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm, the only thing separating me from this guy, the cashier, is just a square of plastic. So I go like this and I put my head to the side and, you know, the plastic's here and I'm looking and I go back like this and go back like this again. And the guy's like, yeah, I know it's fucking stupid. And he's like, do you want to put this thing here? So I'm like, so the coronavirus can't go straight forward. <laughs> but, you know, like, I guess the bane of its existence is up and down and right and left. But straight ahead, that's the only way it can get you. It's just all pageantry. It's all pageantry. It's basically putting all these these cute little images. I don't know if you saw the news the other day, but like Biden and all these other world leaders were doing this little fucking elbow thing with each other and shit. It's like, come on. And then once the cameras go off, they had they had these these, these pictures of them hugging without masks. Exactly. Exactly. It's all what fucking bogus. Exactly. And you know what? I grew up with the plexiglass. I grew up down the block from the projects. I mean, you wanted, <laughs> you walked in there, you got about an inch and a half thick of plexiglass because... You know, they're serving you, but, you know, chances mm -hmm. are somebody might go in there and serve them some bullets. So when I walk into the local, you know, uh, supermarket and not such a rough uh, area, you know, mm -hmm. that plexiglass is in front of you. And, you know, they got like the, the credit card machine where they cut it and some idiot didn't cut it specifically, like with the right dimensions. And you got to like put your hand a little higher in the card and, it, and it's like ridiculous. <laughs> And then you're like sticking your head around the other side, like, hey, thanks, you know, it's insanity. It's crazy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But yeah, there was plenty of times during the heart of the COVID when everything was going on, where in Brooklyn, it was hysterical because a lot of the uh, the uh, Russian Jews, they were out there dancing, like, because they hate the Blasio. And mm -hmm. it was hysterical because they would throw parties, weddings, and they're dancing in the streets, no masks, everything. And, and then the Blasio kind of like, you know, hit them up and started hitting them with fines. And they can't. And New York's going to be a lot happier if the Blasio gets the hell out of here. You know? Do you but think. You're right. You see pictures of them hugging and everything is fine all of a sudden. The pandemic. And during the riots and, the, and all that, nobody. Mm -hmm. The only reason they wear a mask is to protect their faces from all the looting. 
Exactly. I mean, you're basically giving an open invitation. I've never seen someone walk into a bank with a mask on and not have security attack them. And that's all you see now. Yeah. And you're basically encouraging this shit. That's why violence is on the rise. And everyone's like, oh, why are people so violent nowadays? Well, uh, well I mean, you're pushing racial segregation. You're pushing mask wearing. Of course you're going to fucking violent people out there. That's that's the thing. Do you think New York's ever going to come back? I mean, you guys uh, are the- I have, listen, Broadway, uh, Times Square, like I said, you know, all those theater shows, a lot of the people that I knew that were uh, producing shows, big shows, they were involved in, like, a lot of the creativity. I've done major shows. You know, they're gone. A lot of them have moved back home with mommy and daddy, and they left New York. So, I mean... There's no tourists, like I said, right now. So what's opening up exactly? Now, supposedly, they put together some kind of major show in Central Park where Bruce Springsteen is supposed to be performing with some big names. And, and yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Oh, oh. Anyway, so they're doing, you know, which is Jersey. I know you said Jersey. It's funny. You know, my geographic map is, like, totally lost. I mean, you know I'm sober also. We could talk about that later on. Ten years. I just celebrated ten years. You know? Social media for me, I had no clue about it. So the reason I, when I first met this girl, she was from Spokane. She said Spokane. I was like, what part of Jersey is that? (laughs) (laughs) I had no clue. But yeah, Springsteen and all them, they're supposed to be popping in there. They're trying their best, talking about how New York's going to open up with a bang. I hope to God, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. That's the reality. You know, comedy clubs have taken a beating. You know, most of the comedy clubs in New York City nerd are in the basements. They're in basements, lower level. And it's like, you know... Like speakeasies. I'm sorry? They're like speakeasies now. Exactly. That's how they was. You know, I mean, I'm headlining a Broadway comedy club. I got some shows that I'm headlining in. Uh, Ammonia Cafe, independently show, shows in July. I'll be at Greenwich Comedy Club. Then I'm touring to Ohio uh, in July, four days. I'll be in Cleveland touring out there. And other states have already opened up and they're doing everything. New York right now, the comedy clubs are getting back slowly, but they're calling them sold out at 25 people capacity. You know, what I'm saying? social. Uh, you know, I see people they're like sold out show, and then you see a picture of 12 people. You know, which is kind of funny because I always like to say like when I'm doing these small rooms, I'm like, listen, if at any time I kind of faint. Or like blackout during the show. I don't usually perform in huge crowds like this. <laughs> but, you know, I'm used to doing shows where like, you know, about 250, 300 people, you know, and I'm grateful for that because I, I love being a comedian. That's what it's all about. But, you know, as a comedian, you want people to hear your joke. You want to hear the laughter, you know. During the COVID, they were doing these outside theaters yeah. in parking lots and the actual clapping was them in the car turning their on and off lights on. You know, off, on, off, on. That's clapping. That's... <laughs> I, I, didn't even do Zoom shows. <laughs> I didn't even do Zoom. If I don't hear the laughter, the belly laugh, it's not going to work for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right, these so-called sold-out shows. Again, like I said, they really... I'm hoping and praying that it opens up, but all these other states... Florida, Texas, Cleveland, you know, Ohio, you guys, Florida's been like, what giant party, man. Oh, God. I, yeah, I was in uh, Clearwater in March. I was in uh, Tampa, you know, and I was in Pinellas County in that area. And 
It was packed. Packed yep. everywhere. People yep. like, like they never happened. Mm-hmm. They've had plenty of events too. They've had like sporting events. They've, had, uh, they've even had professional wrestling down there. I think they might have even done UFC with full capacity crowds. And guess what? No spreader events. They're saying, oh, they're, oh, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. When nothing happens, what do they say? Nothing. They act like it never happened. They, they are so afraid to give us good news. It, it's, it's like, what is the end game? What is the end game here? Like, do you right. guys want to stay forever? Like, when are you going to say it's over? Like, what the hell is the game? Like, what's, right. this what's the game plan? What, what is it? Which direction are we going? Do we want people to be finally over this and start living their lives? You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> what the hell? What's going on? You know, throughout this whole time, I've had one person very close to me pass away. And he was the best man at my wedding. You mm-hmm. know, he actually went to Greece and he got the COVID in Greece and he passed away. Three weeks ago, I got word of that. So Other than that, there's always people that I knew that they lost people and so forth. You know, a lot of elderly people, you know. Thank God, you know, uh, nobody died of the flu the last two years. Yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> go figure. It's just, it's just the name. I don't know, man. I don't know. The media, they're, you know, they're, I'm not a big fan of the media these days. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, and thank God that we are at a time now where we have like guys like you, your show, podcasts, and stuff like that, where you can get some honesty from people that want the truth. They want the truth. You know? You're not allowed they to sell that bullshit. Yeah, that you're not allowed to ask questions. I mean, if you ask questions, you're immediately called an ist which I call the ist, which is you're either a racist, yeah. you're a horrible person, you're a xenophobe. Like, whoa, I, I, all I asked was a question. A I mean, question. I just yeah, want to... Exactly. What, what's the problem here? Yeah, I, exactly. I'm not allowed to ask a question. I, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? And, I, I, and I'm an old school cat. You know, I grew up in the 60s, early 63. So, you know, I grew up in a time where, like, you know, you know my father, you, you know, in New York, they used to say loose lips sink ships. Shut yes. the fuck up. Don't say a word. Whatever. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, now, today, I mean, you know, everybody all of a sudden has this thing where it's like, you know, you can't say this. You can't say that. God forbid you say this. Shit, I close my, I mean, nothing against people. I, I keep it real as much as I can. And I'm yeah. Greek. You know, I'm Greek. And I usually close my shows. Hey, I'm Greek and black olives matter to me you know i, I love black <laughs> you know you know what i mean i mean like you know <laughs> i gotta be me i will never stop being me the day i stop being me is the mm-hmm. day i stop comedy and i love comedy so you know i'm not gonna let other people get into my head like you know like we say i never let anybody rent space in my fucking head you know what mm-hmm. i mean absolutely now let's take it back to the beginning here because I don't want to get too much into the COVID thing because it's very depressing for a lot of people, I, and I understand. But it, it is important, as you being an entertainer in New York, I kind of want to take it back to the beginning here, though, because I'm, I'm very intrigued with comedians because you guys are, are, are very different people, and there's a different breed of person. I mean, everybody was a, a class clown. Everyone's made someone laugh in their life before, but it doesn't mean you're a comedian. You can't do this. You can't stand in front of people and tell jokes. I mean, I can tell four jokes, and people at work laugh. I go in front of 300 people and they're going to fucking throw tomatoes at me. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, you know, I have a lot of young guys. I, I produce a lot of shows in New York City. And I, uh, you know, for, for many years, I did a show called Bagels and Baklava at Broadway Comedy Club. Now I do New York's Funny Man. Broadway Got Talent every last Saturday of the month. I'm at Broadway Comedy Club. And then that gives me the opportunity to book a lot of different shows, independent shows. 
and things like that. And I do an open mic show where I give people, uh, young people that want to be comedians, give them an opportunity to get on stage and say some jokes. You know what I mean? And I like to pay my comedians because this whole racket of comedy now has turned into, hey, you know, you, you want to be on my show? How many people can you bring us? You know, mm-hmm. you, know you, you can be yeah. you, know, you suck, but we love you because you bring 10 people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. And I hate shit like that. You know what I mean? I tell people, you want to be a comedian? You got to work at it. There's a difference. You know, I'm a pro comic. That means I make a living out of that. I get paid for it. You know, I, and I do all types of comedy. I do stand up, sit down, lay down. I can do a lot of different types of comedy. It doesn't work, you know, but you have to work at it and constantly write new material and all that. I come across people all the time. All my friends, they say I'm funny. You think, did he have a comedian? I go, really? I go, one, here's the first tip. You ready? The difference between a writer and a comedian is a writer writes things down. You identify, you like to write things down. So, you know, if you're going to go with the basis of what's in your mind and what you think is funny, uh, I, you better sharpen that up because if you're on the show and people pay, actually pay to see you, if you're not funny, they will let you know. Oh, They'll yeah. be quiet. And one minute on stage without making somebody laugh is a fucking eternity. Mm. So you better have your comedy ready, you know? But again, you never know. You know, I had to lose everything in my life to become a comedian because as a kid, I always loved the entertainment industry. And like recently... You know, like I said, I'm sober 10 years, but it wasn't until I lost everything in my life, was homeless, that I actually said, fuck it, now I'm going to go after what I love. And I did it. And with God's grace, you know, I've had some a lot of success and I'm very grateful. So, uh, yeah, to the newcomers, you want to be a comedian, you got to work on it. It's not easy. Now, do you think your hardships really set the tone for the person that you became? The reason why I ask this is because you can tell with a lot of comedians when they start off, they're like, oh, my God, this guy's fucking hilarious. And then as they get a little bit of notoriety, make a little bit of money, you know, they get a little bit of famous. They're not as funny as they used to be. Do you think because I do think you were you, you, you like really took off and got better because you were hungrier at the time? There's no doubt about it that when, if you if you do have the the talent of being a comedian and you have it inside you, you're born with it. You know, a lot of people they take these courses and they take these classes and they get raped. Mm. You know, for like you know, to, to, you know, to pay all this and it takes time. You have to see funny. I see funny. My mind is always working funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of these comics, young comics, they're like, I don't know if you if you remember. Bugs Bunny, the cartoon Bugs Bunny. Yes. Do you remember there was a great one that, you know, during the Bugs Bunny hour, whatever it was, there was this funny little comedy, I mean, uh, cartoon sketch about a very, uh, an entertaining frog that a homeless guy met. And he sees this box and he opens it up and a frog jumps out with a top hat and a cane. He's like, hello, my baby. Hello, my baby. And, and the guy, the homeless guy gets an idea. He's like, wait a minute. He goes, this is great. He goes, maybe I could just, and he runs into a producer and he shows him, he opens up the box and a frog looks at the guy and goes, ribbit, ribbit, <laughs> ribbit. And the guy grabs the homeless guy and the frog and throws him out of his own. And then he's at a bench. He's like all depressed on and out. And the frog's like, hello, my baby. Hello. Like the frog's <laughs> only performing for him. So yeah. a lot of these guys that they, people say they're funny or whatever, they're, they're like that frog. They get on stage and they're like, 
So it comes together with a lot. You got to have that comfortability. And that comes with time also to be comfortable to be standing in front of a crowd. And to, you have to be, and, and being yourself is another thing that's very important. You know, mm-hmm. and comedians are very dark and jaded, a lot of them, you know. A lot of them have passed away. Some of the greatest comedians, you know. My, mm-hmm. One of my favorites growing up was Richard Jenny. Richard Ooh. Jenny was hysterical. Richard Jenny. J-E-N-I. If you ever want to Google him, Richard. I love I grew up with him, you know. Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all these guys, you know what I'm saying? Eddie um, Murphy, my number yeah. one guy right there. Right, right. All that. and uh, But, again, I really believe that you have to be born with that talent inside you, and then you sharpen it up, you get better. But if you have the hunger and the love and the passion, you can be good at it, you know? That's, when, you know? when did you realize you were funny? When I lost everything. <laughs> I was always told I was funny, and I was that person because of my voice and my appearance. You know, I didn't want to hear it. Like, funny like what? Like Joe Pesci, am I a clown or something? Am I here to fucking amuse you? I mean, funny, you know? And, uh, but, you know, throughout my life, I, you know, the first joke I ever said that I didn't even know was a joke was I was in Greece, and to this day, nerd, believe it or not, I can still hear the laughter on the bus. So, I was on the bus, and I was being a kid, running around, laughing, whatever, and my mom turns around and, and grabs me and says, hey, be a good boy, stop, you know? And she goes, stop being loud and stop talking. And next to me was a gentleman, and he was talking, and he was, like, doing whatever, and I kind of caught a resentment. I looked at my mother, you know, and she goes, you're a little boy, you know, don't do that, you know? And I was like, well, he's a little boy, too, and uh, you're not yelling at him, and he was a little person. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole bus erupted laughing. They were dying laughing. I was like six years old when I said yeah. that. And I could hear that in my jokes. You know, to this day, I can still hear that, that vibe, that laughter. And, but, you know, that laughter, that's the actual payment for a comic, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, the money's great when you start making money, obviously. It's not easy, you know. But to actually get a room, an explosion of people laughing at anybody, that's the actual payment that goes to a comic to know that he's funny and, you know, and, and you work at it. You know, you work at it with the premise. You deliver the punchlines. I do a lot of animation comedy, you know, uh, uh, you know yeah. certain things like that in my voice. I do a lot of my my actual hardships in life. You know, like I was 385 pounds. I remember Tony, the owner of Dangerfields, came up to me, said to me, Greg, that's one of the best jokes I ever heard. And he was partners with Rodney Dangerfield. I said, when you're 385 pounds, it's very hard to take a shower. You know why? The cheeseburger gets wet. (laughs) (laughs) So you like that joke. But comedy comes from pain. I'm a strong believer. Comedy comes from pain. You got your witty comedians that are like funny and with these like witty jokes. But I like to talk about hardships, everyday life, life, you know, the things that I went through. When, my old, my, when I came to the United States, I asked my father for allowance. My father was old school, a professional soccer player in Greece. He brought us to the United States for the American dream. Unfortunately, we had tragedy. My mom got hit by a drunken driver, and she's an amputee. She lost her leg because of that. And the guy had no insurance, so we were, like, all over the place. So, anyway, my father was, you know, very hard working. He was, uh, after his... Uh, career in Greece. He was a professional soccer player, very well known, very well known in the United States when he came here also. So anyway, I asked him for allowance because all the kids in the neighborhood, in the block were getting allowance. 
My father looked at me and goes, allowance? What is this allowance? What the hell is this? I go, you're allowed to give me some money. <laughs> He's like, really? Can I kick the shit out of you too? I go, that would be overtime. That would be extra money. Overtime. <laughs> That's classic. No. The thing about comedy is it's very subjective. And the thing is, is like you you do a show, let's just say for argument's sake, there's 300 people there, right? There's 300 different personalities in there. And, and, and you're telling jokes that you wrote. So it's like, how do you know that this is going to connect with that particular audience as opposed to like you doing a show in New York, which is like your, your stuff might kill there. But then you might go to like, you know, the West Coast where those jokes might not hit the same way. Do you prepare differently for different areas that you go to and different people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, identifying what a joke is, what it's all about, people that have gone through it. So me as an old time in New York, 58 years old, if I'm doing a show with 25 year olds, mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon, Portland, keep Portland weird. That's <laughs> hysterical. When I went to Portland, they have this mural, keep Portland. Portland is like a giant village in the city, but they're not up to par. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not up to par yet. But anyway, yeah, you, you kind of look at the, the audience, you feel them out. You know, you, you, you do your jokes, whatever it is, and then there's something that I like to call ride the joke. I do a lot of improv as well. So if I deliver my punchline, I have other lines that I continue. But after a while, the laughter is like a wave. The wave comes in, and then it dies out. Then you move on to another joke. But, yeah, identification is very important. And a lot of people, they can identify, even if they're younger than you or whatever. I got this joke that's been really killing me. I've been doing it for a long time. I talk about the dick pic. You know, and, and dick pic, yeah. I, I usually tell people, I go, how funny is it that right now, right now, above us, ladies and gentlemen, we have hundreds of thousands of dicks that are floating above us, flying across the country, bouncing off satellites, okay? And that's the dick pic. I go, me, I'm old school. I didn't have smartphones where you send a dick to another state, actually. <laughs> we delivered the penis in person. <laughs> it was called flashing. You went up to somebody who flashed the shit out. What's that? And you showed the penis a person. This guy advertised, so, hey, this is what I got. <laughs> you want to So the younger crowd, they identify with that because they do the, you know, the, the dick pics and the picture and all that. The older crowd eat that shit up, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. you got to meet them somewhere half in the middle where people, you know, like Instagram jokes that I write. You know, when I heard of Instagram, I said, holy shit, they're delivering coke instantly now. Instagram, <laughs> holy shit. My buddy was like, relax, it's an app. And they got apps for everything. I heard of Instagram, I got sober too quick. <laughs> That's hilarious he mentioned Instagram because like, I find myself going down these weird fucking rabbit holes. I mean... I was born in 82. So, I mean, like I, I grew up and, and I know what life was like before all this technology stuff. And, and, and I grew up, like, I think I got my first cell phone at 18, which is like 20 years ago. So I know what, what it was like before and afterwards. And the things that you can get, just like you said, it's, it's like Coke being delivered to you. Like, Oh, I like girls with big asses and tits. Go to Instagram and boom, that's in your face. 24. It almost makes you numb to this almost where it's like, you see it all the time. So why do you care anymore? It, it it's really desexualizing us almost in a way because Everything that you get, and then I was actually listening to a really interesting show today where they were talking about, you know, this interesting thing about being locked in a house for a year. There was no baby boom, so people aren't fucking, like they were like they anticipated, like oh, we're gonna have babies out the wazoo once this whole pandemic thing ends. People are just sitting at home jerking off. It's, yeah, it's, man. Well, yeah, you know, it's at the tip of their hand. Too much information at the tip of their hand. Exactly. And, you know, at the tip of their hand. Unfortunately, you could damage the tip of your dick. Excuse my French, but uh, you know, so. 
Yeah, well, yeah, uh, I forgot. I don't know if rated our joke, whatever. But you can say whatever. Yeah, I place. think I think uh, society has done that, and mm-hmm. the more smart technology, the dumber people get. Yeah, that's what I really believe. You know, it, it's too much information, too easy for us. You know, back in the day, you had to research shit. You had to go to the library, open up a book, go through the fucking pages. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like everything's at the tip. Very simple. This. People are getting brainwashed. They're dead. I'm a, like, I didn't even know how to set the Skype thing. You know, password. Okay. Okay. Then username. What's the difference between the password name and the username? What, what's going on? It's like, really, man? Yeah. You know, I, I can't. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's distancing from, from humanity. It's distancing us from humanity for a long time. And it's sad. Yeah. I see it all the time when I was walking before the pandemic. You would see families sitting together eating, yeah. and then a family of four a little boy, a little girl, the mother, the father, and all four of them are looking into the iPhone, not engaging in their family conversations. Yeah. It's bad, it's scary, it's sad, but that's which way we're going through technology, man, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's going to get worse. It's absolutely horrifying because you got to look at the bigger picture here. And a lot of people don't look at it this way, just like you were describing how people were looking at their phones, just mindlessly not talking to each other. So who becomes who becomes the person that you're talking to at that point? You're talking to your phone. Who controls the phone? Big tech, big media. And what are they yeah. pushing? Their agenda. So what are they doing? They're warping your mind. You can't even have your own opinions anymore. You can't have a conversation like we're doing right now. You're being programmed. They're exactly. Programmed. This little box in your hand is programming you. It's telling you what you need. Everything you need is in this box in your hand. And the people can see people. I mean, I've seen accidents and and I actually, I make it a little funnier. The guy's hanging up to death. He's like, oh, full of blood. And the ambulance picks him up and he's like, wait, my phone, my phone, my phone. (laughs) (laughs) He's dying in the ambulance. He's got to take a selfie. I'm I'm done. Before they eat, they gotta fucking show their food. Look what I'm eating today. How about getting on the fucking toilet bowl? Get on the toilet bowl. Let us know. Do a selfie while you're taking the shit. It's it's crazy because exactly these little boxes. That's what they're doing. You know what I mean? They're they're programming us. It's all about that little dopamine drip. It's like the little drip right there from your brain that just gives you all the happiness. Like whenever you get a good emotion, whenever you get that like button clicked, or yeah. even, in, even in your case as a comedian, whenever you hear a laughter, you tell a joke, I'm, I'm sure you feel that little surge. Like, hell yeah, I got these. I feel great. Well, I'm 58 years old, and now I'm struggling with the drips. Because when I go to the bathroom, I'm dripping. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> I got to make sure I got a toilet around me, too, with the drip. Oh, my God, it's hysterical. But, yeah, that little drip. Because everybody, you know, and, and it's all about... You know, who likes? How many likes did you get? Mm-hmm. How many friends? Did, first of all, they're not friends. Let's keep yeah. it real, okay? I had 5,000 friends on Facebook. And what I did is I did something called The Purge. I said, you know what? I'm going to post something on social media today. I did it about two years ago. Oh, and I was like, if you're my friend, just send me a hello. Don't tell me, like some people say, like, you know, where do we meet? Just hello. And I got a lot of hellos. And then I started. I said, you know what? The purge begins. The mm-hmm. fake book, faker, fake book blocking purge. So I would send them, like, pictures of, like, you know, gallows with a noose. I'd be like, blocked. I block all these fucks because, yeah, I blocked those, like, I'm down to, like, 4,500 friends now. And I love it because I would post, like, if you're still reading this, you made the cut. 
And yeah. people used to laugh. They're like, thank you so much for not blocking me. I appreciate it. I got all these friends. They don't even fucking give a shit. They don't fucking. But yeah. I use it to advertise. You know what I'm saying? I, it's, and I just started using Instagram maybe a couple of years ago. I don't even use that. Mm-hmm. But and I've been blessed. I have a following in New York, Pennsylvania, Spokane. I did the Bing Crosby Theater. I have a very big fellowship in Spokane. And, and I want to come to Carolina as well. You know, Come on down. All that stuff. You know, yeah, I, I'd love to. It's all about who you know, you know. So, yeah. um, again, it, it's 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 technology that's part of the big tech, the media, and they can just block you whenever they want because people like my Facebook's down. Oh my god! It's like they lost their lives. It's crazy. Exactly. There was a, a very big comedian back in the day. It was hysterical. He said, "If Russia ever wants to beat us, all they have to do is shut down our cable." Years ago. Yeah, you know, and it's like people like no cable TV. You know, they they, they go mm-hmm. on. Imagine now you wake up and there's no Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter, no fucking cock block or whatever the fuck it's called, dick pic, TikTok, TikTok, Twitter, it's TikTok. You don't. They got all these different things, and you're like, you're stuck with you and reality. Mm-hmm. You know, so I engage in, with people. I love to say hello. You know, I have these people sometimes, they're like, they're like, thank you so much. You know, love, they love my jokes. They love all this shit on social media. Then I come across them on, in the streets and they look at me like they don't even know who I am. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're loving all my shit on social media and they don't even know say, say hello. The whole social media thing's ridiculous because I feel like a fucking baseball card. Like people are collecting me. And that's all I am. It's like, okay, I'm going to grab him. I'm going to put him in my friends list and never talk to this. And I just want to add him. I just want to add people. Yeah. Because what... it, you know, it makes them feel special that they have like all these thousands of followers. Yeah. Meanwhile, Caroline's, uh, they had booked this guy on from Instagram that had thousands of, I don't know how many, like 150,000 followers. They actually booked him. And he was like these, that one of these Instagram comedians. Because if you're not a real comedian on stage, I don't care how funny you think you are, you know, with that. And and I've done some sketches, uh, one that went viral. It's called The Slice, Greg the Greek. If you ever want to see it, it's hysterical. You're going to really like it. It's, it's like 1.7 million views. And I didn't really reshare it a lot, but it went viral right away. It's about a nerd trying to change pizza. You know, I hate when they try to do that. You know, a lot of like leave pizza alone. So he, he walks, you know, because I was actually in a pizzeria one day and the guy's like arguing with the guy like that, this, not that. And he turns around, he looks at me and I'm, I'm just, I just want to order a slice and get out. He looks at me, he goes, but I'm a vegan. And I go, I don't care if you're fucking Venezuelan. I just want a slice. I'm a vegan. I don't care if you're fucking Venezuelan, I told him. I just want my slice and get the fuck out of here, you know? So I did it with a, a comedian, Ben Rosenberg. And it was like cool, you know. It went viral. It was fun. It was great. But I'm more hands on. I like to like you know, talk to people and shit and stuff like that. But yeah, it's about the likes. Who likes me? Who's how many views do you have? So anyway, they hired this comedian and he pulled out 21 people. And guess who they were? Like family members. Because in comedy, in the early stages of comedy, you know who draws. Famous people, obviously, or people that have followings and new talent. It's okay. like, hey, did you hear Bob? Bob's not a plumber anymore. He's a comedian now. So Bob is reaching out to all his close friends. Hey, can you guys come out and support me? So they're, they're going to come out. 
No. How many times are they going to come out for Bob if Bob ain't funny? They've you heard the, I mean? Yeah, they've already heard the jokes, and if he's right. not funny, he ain't funny. Right. Exactly. So that's what it's all about. It's about the likes, how many followers, this and that, you know what I'm saying? But I wanted to promote the slice. You'll get a kick out of it. A lot of old school people love that, you know, you know that, uh, you know, the vegan pizza and this and that. It's hysterical. It's pretty, it's a, you'll enjoy it when you see the sketch. Oh, absolutely. And I've liked everything I've seen the year so far. I mean, because like the, the people that listen to the show know that I like to do my research. I like to go and just check out everything that the people I'm talking to. You know, I I, 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 just, I just like to get a feel for what they're about. And I really enjoyed everything that I've seen here so far. So, yeah, I've had a lot of booking agents in the past that booked me. And they're like, Craig, you need a website. You got to get a website. I'm like, for what? You Google my name and know everything pops up on a exactly. website. What do I got to pay somebody to be a webmaster? What the fuck? Just Google my name, Greg Critical, and you'll see a lot of shit. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's, I tell you, it's, it's like rackets, whatever it is, but. I've been very blessed and I'm very grateful. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, I, I am fortunate because I have a lot of fans that come out, but I'm constantly working there and it's not easy. You know, I, I see something funny. I hear something funny and I take it. I, I work at it. I massage it. You know, I, I've also uh, produced, uh, you know, a couple of movies, you know, Netflix. And my last movie, I actually, uh, my team that I, I wrote it and it was my story called, uh, it was called Charlie Boy, based on the character, but then he changed that to, to for tomorrow's today, and whatever. Anyway, I didn't get along with the director. He was a little fucking weirdo. Anyway, to make a long story <laughs> short, they changed it to tomorrow's today. But I got to meet Kelly LeBrock. Oh, weird Bro- science! Yeah, weird science, baby. Oh boy, I'll send you a picture of me and Kelly LeBrock. You know, I, I'll send it to you after the show. Oh please, actually, it's uh, and Burt Young. Burt Young was. Great actor. I love Burt Young. Burt Young? Young and Rocky was great, Holy. but he was also, right, he, he played in a great movie with with Mickey Rourke mm. called, uh, what was that movie? And, uh, and Roberts, Julia Roberts' brother. It was called uh, The Pope of Greenwich Village. Okay, yeah, yeah. Er- Eric Roberts, yeah. Eric Roberts, yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, Burt Young, Burt Young. I'm Burt, in a movie uh, with Eric Roberts as well. I'm in a movie called uh, The Brawler, Brawler, where uh, Joey D'Onofrio... And uh, Joey D'Onofrio played young Joe Pesci yep. in Goodfellas. Him and I, I actually, I was the first guy to put him on stage, Joey D'Onofrio. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I put him on stage. We did a show called Brothers from Other Mothers at Dangerfields. I was the headliner, and he was the uh, feature. Joe, you know, he was uh, Joey D'Onofrio from uh, yeah. young Joe Pesci, he played. Anyway, he also played in the Bronx Tale. So I'm in full in the arts, you know, comedy, acting, all that. But but to me, I love being a comedian at heart. That's what it's all about. And, and uh, you know, making people laugh, you know, very important to me, you know. Now, let me ask you about this, because your your, your primary gig is a comedian. But then you, you do the acting, you do a lot of things. You wear a lot of hats. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever felt like people like established actors when you go in these sets? They they're like, oh, who, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, he's a comedian. Do you ever feel like you're 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 kind of looked down upon as a comedian, or do you feel like you have to overcompensate a little bit? Or yeah. I don't let people rent space in my head, nerd. You know, I'm doing what I love to do. Uh, I've hit rock bottom in my life. I don't know if any of your uh, your followers. I'm sure plenty of them will identify. You know, like I said. Yeah. I am Absolutely. sober, and sober for me stands for son of a bitch, everything's real. Sober. <laughs> son of a bitch, everything's real. I'm so serious. it's like, uh, but I'm living my dream. I really am. And, you know, for me to write jokes and say jokes and get paid for it, that's a beautiful thing. 
You know what I mean? But look down upon that. I don't feel that way. Uh, I have a lot of people when I headline at the end, they'll come up to me and they'll be like, hey, you were so funny. And that's one of the agreements that I have with myself. You know, I since I've done my first show, I always had somebody more than once at times come up to me and say, you were the funniest person on stage. So, and if that continues to happen, I'll never stop. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've never had somebody that come, came up to me and said to me, hey, you were the worst fucking comic out there. You really should fucking give it up, you know? that's That hasn't happened yet, but <laughs> thank God. But no, I don't, I don't feel looked down upon, none of that. And again, you know, fame, whatever. I know so many comedians that are flying under the radar that are hysterical, mm-hmm. so funny. And you said something too. A lot of famous comedians, they get to that level where anything they say, people want to laugh. Yeah. Like really? That you know, that's not that funny. But mm. hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, ha- well, have you ever bombed? Because that's something I want to ask you about. Because when you think of comedians, like you, you have your set of material, you go out there, you're like, all right, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna do my thing. And you know, you probably envision this in your head a hundred times, just like I do as well. When I do a show with someone, I always like pre-interview someone in my head, and then like, okay, this is what I want to hit on, this is what I want to talk about. Hopefully, it goes great. Sometimes this doesn't go that well. Uh, have you ever had those moments? As a comedian, you have to have, I call it my toolbox. My toolbox of jokes that are guaranteed to make people laugh. Yeah, you know, so I always keep close to my toolbox. Uh, just in case you didn't know, the correct term of uh, bombing that comedian use is eat dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I ate dick tonight. You know, so, uh, have I bombed ever? I, you know, this is going to sound bad, like, like I'm cocky, but, you know, the first time ever on stage, ever on stage, because the way I got into comedy was pretty unique. It was pretty funny because, I, like I said, I had lost everything. I was homeless, whatever. And I met this woman, and she actually said to me, Greg, I got to tell you, she was working at a local pub, local bar, and I was a mess. I was a hot mess. I was using, you know, drinking out of, Forget about it. A fifth of doers a night. I was using a lot of substances, which now, you know, I do a lot of service, you know, working with people that are suffering from any kind of like, you know, uh, you know, alcohol addiction to drug addictions. And that gives me, you know, no matter what part of the country I'm at, I also do a lot of service. I, you know, I, I pass the message and. Um, I had lost everything, but it was said to me, you're pretty funny, you know, you, you, you know, I, I, I could probably put you on stage. And I got into comedy when I was 48. It's pretty old. It's not young, but yeah. I always remember people telling me I'm funny. So anyway, the, the first joke I ever used in my life, you know, I got on stage and I had a hat at the New York Comedy Club on a Friday night. It was a hat and sunglasses. And a very well-known comedian was uh, hosting that show. He's been on HBO and all that stuff. And uh, he said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, um, you know, I feel funny. I don't know if I want people to know who I am. And he looked at me. He goes, with that voice, you think people are not going to know who you are? You know, it's kind of funny. It's very, but anyway, I got on there. And as a comedian, when you're doing a set, the producer of the show usually will give you the light in the back. They'll like light up their iPhone and go like this and that's like a one minute, you know, you have one minute to get off stage, wrap up your thing. And I'm up there and the first show, joke I said, I said, I want to thank everybody for coming on stage. And then I corrected myself. I said, oops, I'm on stage, you're over there. And they started laughing. And I felt the electricity, the vibe, I, I kid you not. 
And from there, I started talking about, you know, my obesity, how heavy I was, how hard it is for me to wipe my ass. I got to stick my elbow under my wall and I push against the wall. And I was like, gyros, I love gyros, but who wants the lettuce and tomatoes? Put some mozzarella cheese on my gyros. I rearranged people's fucking venues, menus, and people started laughing. And I was like, really? I was having a great time, and he's giving me, and then finally he jumps on stage while I'm on stage. He was giving up a great pretty close. And I didn't see the light because of my dark sunglasses. And then at the end of the show, he comes up and he goes, was that your first time ever on stage? I said, yeah. He said to me, wow, holy shit. He goes, congratulations, you're going places. I said, I sure am. I'm going back to Astoria. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I mean, that's a really good story because anybody else, if they would have been broken by that experience, that would have been the end. You know, like some yeah, people. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you said that because I think of that too. What happens if that room wasn't laughing? Exactly. What happens if anything, and everybody was quiet, like the frog, you know? Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly. Now, you mentioned your weight loss a few times, and this is something I really wanted to touch on now because I lost a lot of weight myself, and I want to ask oh, you. Really? Yeah, oh my goodness. I was at my heaviest, I was 305, and now I'm at 170, 175. I fluctuate out here. And How I did tall a, are you? Six foot. I'm five eight, and I was three eighty five. How'd you do it? I I did keto. I shocked my body. What happened is, you know, when I hit my rock bottom, and one of my best friends, he came up to me, said to me, "Greg, man, you need help." You know, I stunk of alcohol, you know, drugs, and and I was a a, a mess. People were afraid to approach me. I had hit a real bottom in my life, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest, and. Uh, you know, and, and I, uh, I went to detox. I spent seven days in detox. They put me on Librium. Um, neuropathy set in. Mm. Uh, I had the shakes. I had, uh, uh, you know, high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, all this shit. I was done. And I went, spent seven days in detox, three and a half months of rehabilitation after that. I'm alumni at Phoenix House. I shocked my body because when I went in there and I saw the doctor for the first time, he looked at me. He said to me, what were you doing? Like, you know, you're, you're pretty big. Like, you know, when I went, because my legs were turning color, they were really bad. And, and, you know, a normal person, if their foot isn't working correctly, like, you know, yeah. they'd be freaking out. they go to the doctor. My foot, I was like shaking my foot. I'm like, come on, get back to normal. Get back to normal. You know? <laughs> and that was all from the alcohol. You know, I'm climbing up the steps. I'm tripping because my foot is not, co- you know, it's not coordinating with my brain. Pick up your yeah. toes. Get it's up. not like tightening up or whatever. Right, exactly. So what happened is when I went there, I told him, he's like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Like, are you? Well, I was like very depressed, eating and sleeping. I was like the fattest, but my disease was alcohol, also with cocaine and crack. Mm. At one point, I must have been the fattest crackhead in New York City. <laughs> Like people lose weight with crack, Greg. What are you doing? I'm eating. I'm eating. Were you, were you eating the crack? No, I wasn't eating the crack. I was eating the food. So I was dead high for two, three days straight. Then I would just stay fucking home and hibernate, isolate, and eat, eat, eat. So there was maybe a handful of times that I actually threw up in my sleep. I could have died right there easily. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah. I, I, I used to spring up in the middle of the street and just throw up, oh, you know, that, because depression is a fucked up thing, you know, and, and you know, eating, sleeping. So that's what I was doing, you know, a lot of a lot of drugs, crack, 
uh, alcohol crack, all that stuff. So when I went to detox the first two days, three days, I was in hell. Mm-hmm. I was so obese, obese that the nurse, you know, in detox came up to me. I was sweating through, through my pores so much. And I used to take showers with chairs. Because if I slipped, that caused a tsunami. But it would break. Like, forget about it. That's how big I was. And that's where comedy comes from pain. Because when I say, very hard to take a shower when you're 285, the cheeseburger gets wet, people will laugh at But the people that are suffering from that disease, whether it's obesity and eating disorders of like too much drinking, too much eating, they identify it's a lot of pain. It's a lot mm-hmm. of toughness. But people love to laugh at other people's tragedies. That's how life is. They laugh at the, the jokes, whatever. But I shocked my body. So I quit rubbing, uh, rubbing alcohol. That's just there. Hello, my name is Dukakis. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, what's it going I, I shocked my body from alcohol. Sugar. I used to eat a lot of cakes because when you're drinking, you're not you don't you're not eating well. So I'd go down to the candy store and have maybe about 150 grams of sugar, which one of my jokes is hysterical. You know, little Debbie. You know, little Debbie with the little, little Debbie. If I catch that bitch, I'm gonna kick the shit out of her. Little Debbie, her and the sugar products. A little fucking brownie, a little brownie of little Debbie's like 45 grams of sugar. That's yeah. like you're speeding on fucking half an eight ball of cocaine, man. Mm-hmm. You fucking little Debbie, you know? And you never see her. You just see her face. You never see the body. Little Debbie's body might be like a fucking dinosaur. You just see her head and a little red ponytail and the freckles. Eat the sugar. Eat the sugar, little Debbie. So I would eat shit like cheeseburger, the luxes go to sleep, sugar, mm-hmm. sugar. So I would draw from alcohol, which is sugar, then yeah. little Debbie pride, all that type of shit. So I mm-hmm. shocked my body, believe it or not. From 385, I went down to 200 after I got sober, continued to work my sobriety. I had to surround myself with other alcoholics, Mm -hmm. you know, and work at it because I had hit a rock bottom in my life. You know, I hit my bottom. Other people, their bottoms is death. You know what I mean? So I could show you later on. I'll show you some pictures before and after all that stuff. Sure. So when you shot, that's how I shot my body. And I went down, you know, and I use it in my jokes. You know, I, I, I done one man show in DC and Pennsylvania and New York. I sold it out called sober is the new high. So it's a fucking, it's a great show. And I talk about how, you know, here I am at 385 pounds. I'm drinking and smoking crack and I'm copping crack from a very well-known project called Queensbridge. And all of a sudden I turn around and I hear freeze police. And I look and I see a cop that was actually fatter than me. <laughs> and I look at the cop and I look at myself. I'm like, yo, I got a chance here. I can get away from this guy. <laughs> yeah. And I start running. And here he is. He's chasing me through the projects, which is hysterical. We're both fucking huge. And I'm running. He's running behind me. And he's not yelling out, freeze, police. Freeze, police, and at some point he starts yelling out, freeze, please, freeze, please. <laughs> He's out of breath. Same police. Best looks like a bit. It says, hey, no respect. It's funny. So I run away from my circle around the block and I run into an Arby's. Remember Arby's? Yeah, oh, yeah. We haven't done like, This is great. I got away. Let me eat a sandwich while he's out there. So I'm about to eat the sandwich and I hear freeze. He was in there before me eating the sandwich. <laughs> he looks at me like he's got his gun out with little hands. He's like, don't do it. 
don't do it. And I got the sandwich in my mouth, and he's like, don't do it. And I'm like, I'm doing it. Fuck him. <laughs> I take a bite, and he starts eating. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucking classic. Oh, man. And, and the thing about food, too, is like the unhealthiest, the most unhealthy shit is the cheapest food out there. I mean, it, it's very expensive to eat healthy. I can go yeah. out and feed my whole family right now for 20 bucks, and we'd have leftovers. But yet I can go to the store and buy the materials to make my own food. And 20 bucks is only going to buy maybe, maybe the, like the dressing. It's, yeah, it's, dressing buy yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such crap. It's like they encourage this behavior out of us. But what triggered your, your, your I, I guess you want to say, quote unquote, downfall? Like what triggered this all in you? I, could, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I couldn't live like that no more. I was slowly dying. You know, I, I, you know, and a piece of me had to die so all of me could live. And it was either I put the drink and the drug down or I'm just going to die. And I wasn't ready to. I really wasn't. I just needed, it was the perfect time for my friend to actually point it out and say to me, hey, man, you need help. And he actually said, I'd rather kill you myself than watch you die slowly. Mm. And, and, you know, and my journey began March 2nd of 2011. Uh, I spent seven days in East Rockaway. And then oh. from there, East Rockaway, New York City. And from there, I went to uh, Phoenix House, which I'm alumni. And I do a lot of service over there as well. I go back to the rehabilitation center and I speak in there. And I go to other rehabs when I'm touring the country. And I spoke at a college in Akron, Ohio. It was in Cleveland, I forgot. It was a very well-known college. And, you know, so I do a lot of the motivational speaking as well. And because it's... Not based on theory, it's based on my experience in life. You know what I'm saying? So anytime I can help another alcoholic, it's I'm very grateful. Now, do you feel like maybe um because I picture and, and this is just me being naive, I've never been backstage at a comedy show. I imagine like being a performer, they're handing you things like people, fans after the show, like, hey, you killed it out there, here, take this, and they're trying to hand you something illegal or maybe like a drink. Hey, I'll buy you a drink. That, do you feel that temptation? That happens all the time. How do you that, do? I got interviewed by a very well-known Greek newspaper in Greece, and the a guy's like talking and finding out about me, and he's like, oh, my God, he goes, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. You don't drink. You help me. But then at the end of the interview, he was like, I can't wait to meet you in Greece, and we can get together and have some ouzo. Ouzo's <laughs> liquor. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. And the person that he was with like, kind of looked at him and said, you idiot. He just got to tell you so. People come up to me at shows and they're like, hey, are you really sober? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And I have people also at the end of the show, they'll come up to me with a drink. Mm. Like, yeah, I bought you a drink. I'm like, I don't drink, man. You know, which is, I, it doesn't trigger me. There's mm. no trigger. I see a lot of alcoholism in people. I know exactly, you know, how the drink can take you down or whatever. But I have no craving for alcohol. I drink, you know. I've been around alcohol for like 40 years. You know, I, I've been sober 10 years. I started drinking, with, you know, when I was 18, I got sober 48. So that's 30 and 10 years. 40 years I've been battling with the disease. Mm-hmm. And this disease will put a dis-ease in your life every single day. That's how I look at it. Disease will put a dis-ease. So it's a challenge, especially in early sobriety for people that need it. But again, it's for people that want it, not for people that need it. You want to get sober, you'll stay sober if you want it, not because you need it. And that's why a lot of times people will call me, Greg, can you help this person? Can you help that person? 
and I sit with them and I usually tell them, when that person is ready, they'll believe me, they'll do it. But you could talk to an alcoholic all day long. Mm-hmm. Know, but it doesn't make stop them going out and drinking and drugging with right. other drugs as well. Well, it's almost like you're talking to two different people. You have to find out who the real person you're talking to is. I mean, myself included. I mean, like, I'll have a few drinks and having some as we're recording this show. But once you hit that certain threshold, you're like, you become a fucking demon. I mean, like back in the day when I used to drink hard shit, it would right. be okay for the first couple of drinks. And after that, you're a whole nother person. So how do you know how to help the person when you don't know who you're talking to? Are you talking to the real person, the drunk person? Like, which personality are you trying to help at this point? And when do you just give up? Or do you ever? Well, well uh, first of all, if you're going to drink to an alcoholic, if you're going to talk to an alcoholic, you want to talk to them when they're not drinking. Yeah. I that's get people tough. that, you know, that's why I tell a lot of people, like, you know, call me before you pick up that drink. Don't call me after you picked it up. Like, hey, man, I love you, man. You're the <laughs> best, man. You know, it's funny. You know, I, you know you, it's funny because you go to bars and, in the beginning, you know, people like, hey, how you doing, whatever. They have a couple of drinks. After the first couple of drinks, they're like, hey, what's up? They start loosening up. By the third drink, they're licking your face like a German chef. Hey, I love you, man. <laughs> you know, every fucking woman by 4 o'clock in the morning looks like Dolly Parton. They're beautiful, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. they, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then the next day, they like, who, who are you again? Oh, uh, we'll who are you? Yeah, yeah. that blackout, you know? Which, uh-huh. uh, it's hysterical, you know? Like, Listen, it's, it's, you know, I really believe no matter what it is, because the addiction and a lot of people have that addiction, like the, 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 an addictive personality, whatever it is, you know, whether, you know, I'm that kid that, you know, if I go to the supermarket and I see a box of Oreo cookies, I'm not opening up that. I'm not having that cookie. If I have that cookie, I got to eat all the fucking cookies. And I'll give you some cookies. I have no problem. I'll give you some of my cookies, but I'm going to finish that fucking. The same thing with chips. I stay away from chips. You know, and that was the first time I lost 185 pounds. Then I quit smoking cigarettes. And I'll tell you why I quit smoking. I heard that nicotine was also laced with sugar. I never knew that. I didn't know. Good to that. Nicotine is laced with sugar. Fucking sugar will get you. They'll, they'll always get you with sugar, Brad. Sugar's the worst fucking drug on the planet. Sugar and salt. Anyway, when I found that out, I, from 385, I went down to 200, working out, beautiful, life was great. I could see my penis again. You know, it, it, it was like amazing. You know, everything was beautiful. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I didn't feel complete because the, the cigarettes, and I quit smoking. 2000, I got sober, 2011, and uh, March, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, 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 October. 2012, I decided to put the cigarettes down. Good move. And slowly but surely, I started gaining weight again. They say when you quit smoking, you eat a lot. You know what I mean? I do. And I started eating, eating, eating. And the next thing you know, I reached fucking again up to 300 pounds, man. I was like, because I like to eat also. I'm an addict. You know what I mean? Slowly but surely. So then I ran into a friend of mine, and he uh, told me about the intermittent fasting diet. Yeah. Where you stay for a while without eating, and the mm-hmm. body attacks. And from 3, I think I was at 310, I actually went down to 240. It, it works. Life was great. I quit smoking. I'm feeling fine, 240, because at 220, I feel like a wuss. You know, I've been big all my life, you know, big boy. And then the disaster took place in 2019, and this is the bad. What happened is um, 
sorry, 2017. What am I saying? 2019. Now, 2017, I'm bike riding. Life is beautiful. I just screened the cartoon that I wrote, and we shot with uh, Will Branker. Will Branker uh, was the, an animator for Rent and Stimpy. And I produced the the, uh, the cartoon, and my graphics designer is Mike Rockwoods. He does all the posters that I send you. I, Mike Rockwoods was the youngest editor to work with Stan Lee. So these are the people on my team. My this is the Witless designer. Protection Program? The Witless Protection the Witless Program. Protection. I have three, three episodes that I'm still working on. We're trying to raise more funding. Anyway, it's hysterical. So hmm. I screened it. I screened it at a venue. And I did a one-man show also that day. I, I, I stand up, and then we screened it in the, the screen. People saw the episode. They, they died laughing. And I was on top of the world. I lost all the weight. I quit smoking cigarettes. I came down again. And as I'm driving, riding my bike, this idiot of a fucking person, mm. she opens the door, and I got doored. Oh. My bike. You know, because, you know, they have the, 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 the bike passengers. Where you yeah. bike. So she was coming out of a car. Instead of looking through the mirror to see if anybody's coming, she decided to open the door. And she opened the door at the exact time that I was sideways. She, the side of a door catches my shoulder. My whole arm was black and blue. Mm. Knocks me down. I fall back. Boom. I'm laid out, and the next thing you know, I'm in the ambulance. And because of that, I had uh, this herniated discs three, four, five, and six on my neck. On the neck. Yeah, they had to go through the front. If you know anything about neck surgery, they cut okay. you from the front. Mm -hmm. They push everything to the side like a curtain. Yeah. And now I'm worried because my voice is what you know brings me money, my bread and butter, my boy. Exactly. So I needed surgery. I had to have surgery, and, you know, there was a 3% chance that it, after the surgery, I could be paralyzed. Mm -hmm. The doctor explained it to me. One of the best specialists in New York City. But I was like, fuck this, because he's like, you're a sneeze away. There's so many people walking around, you know, they've so, done so much damage to their necks, their backs. I said, fuck this, I got to do it. But they had me on steroids. When I came out, you know, during the surgery, after the surgery, they put me on, on uh Morphine. I was a massive fucking pain, man. And I'm an addict. I'm a sober addict. Sure. I stayed with it for a day or two. Then after that, I went with the lowest. So here I am. Steroids. Depression kicked in a little. I was very depressed. I was, here I am on top of the world. And now, so I'm taking steroids. I'm gaining weight. I'm all fucked up. This and that. And the next thing you know, it's like you know, I'm still doing my comedy. I'm overweight and everything. And I had a bad hip to begin with. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. And people are like, you know, I, I, you know, I got, they, it was fusion. They wind me up. I had uh, uh, some kind of device on the side that speeds the bone process with wires like a beeper. So I had these prongs on the side covering myself with turtlenecks. Nobody could see it. It was fusion. Fusion. And I came. All right with that, but I gained weight again. Then after that, my hips started hurting, and I decided 2000, uh, uh, and this year, December 29th of, uh, well, 2020, I said I had a hip replacement. So from 2019, I had the surgery. 2017, I had the accident. 
but early 2018, excuse me, 2018, I had the neck surgery. And then 2020, December, I had hip replacement. So I went through a lot of shit within the last three, four years, you know? And yeah. now my, my, I have a brand new hip. I'm walking, I'm exercising, I'm dropping weight again now. I'm getting really good. I'm still doing my comedy. I'm touring, I'm doing all that. But the neck surgery is behind me. The hip replacement's behind me, you know? So now I'm watching what I'm eating, you know? I'm doing the intermittent, you know? Uh, you know, I'm staying away from the carbs. I'm staying, definitely staying away from the, the salt and the sugar. I mean, once in a while, I might have a little bit of a cake or whatever. But, you know, I'm 58 years old, so I got to watch my intake. You know, I got to be careful, you know. Sure. A lot of the guys my age, they're not around, you know, because of, you know, because of eating what they were eating, because of the drinking, the drugging, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, there's something I really want to ask you because, I mean, comedy now is, is, is it's just not the same. And you can watch late night TV shows. You see the guys like Jimmy Kimmel. Um, who the hell's the other guy that one that likes to sing and dance? He has Justin Timberlake in his show a lot. He's an extreme leftist. Uh, the fuck is this guy? He doesn't matter. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. I didn't even watch that shit, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I grew up with the original fucking cast of Saturday Night Live. Eddie you know, Murphy. I mean, uh, I mean, Jim Belushi was a fucking, you know, Dan Aykroyd. Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. Bill Murray, exactly. You know, Gilda Radner. You know what I mean? The older Gilda, 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 the writing was brilliant. Oh, yeah. You know, sketch comedy's good, but I don't know if I'm getting old, but a lot of people seem to agree. It's too much to the left. Too exactly. much to the left. You know, and, and it's just not fucking funny, man. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't want to downsize anybody, but, you know, a lot of people don't seem to like, you know, they don't like it, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a couple of questions I, I have about this because this is something that I, I feel like needs to be discussed. And you're the perfect person to talk to about this, obviously. I am not qualified to talk about this. That's why I'm, I'm so glad and, and, and appreciative that you came on the show. Was Do you think this might be the death for comedy? Because you can't tell jokes anymore. And it seems like if you do, you have to be in, like we were saying earlier, like a speakeasy. Like you have to be underground telling dirty jokes. Absolutely. But there are a lot of comedians that don't give a fuck either. They're not, they're yeah. gonna, they're, you know, they're not gonna stop being that. I mean, it all depends on the individual. If you choose and you're afraid to say something funny, then that's on you. But as far as comedy itself, comedy will always be here from the beginning of time. People are always going to laugh. Shows and stuff like that, sure. I mean, you know, some people just don't have it. During the pandemic and during the fucking presidency, everybody had a Trump joke. Really, yeah. you, can't, you can't come up with another fucking joke. Everything's about Donald Trump. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So, right, exactly. So, you know... I mean, you have to constantly work your craft. That's the bottom line. And, um, yeah, I believe that. If, if you're going to stop being, like I said earlier, if I'm going to stop being me, then what the fuck am I doing comedy for? So not everybody's going to identify my comedy and stuff like that. And, and I have, you know, I'm not, for the most part, races like, I when I wrote, you know, Charlie Boy, which tomorrow's today, I, I, I had hired a, a little person that's an actor to be the underboss. It's a dark comedy. Okay, so I told the director, you know, I think one of the funny scenes is that, you know, as he comes in, you know, big guys bounce, you know, bodyguard, bodyguard, and the guy goes, here comes the underboss. And as he comes in, everybody's like, the camera's on their face. And then at one point, there's nobody there. And then the camera goes down. That's and perfect. The little guy, underboss. He's like, no, we can't use that because that's, you know, discriminate little people and shit like that. Well, give me a fucking break, all right, man? 
Comedy is yeah. about fucking comedy. It's about mm-hmm. fucking jokes, whether you're Greek, Italian, Irish, whatever the fuck you are. You know, if you don't see it funny, then get the fuck out of it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's ridiculous, man. And a lot of these leftists, whatever the case is, you know, and they try to be funny on, you know, heckling and making fun of other people and like people that identify like everybody hates Donald Trump was grabbing pussy or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Okay, you said it once, twice, but you can't come up with anything else. Mm-hmm. You know what well, I'm saying? There's also the double standard, too, because they had a ton of Trump uh, Trump jokes and they were always going after Trump. But we have the walking punchline, Joe Biden in office now, and no one attacks this guy. He's the because, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Joe Biden. You know, no one, Joe Biden that fucking actually uh, you know, sleeps while he's actually during the presidency. I mean, it's ridiculous. And there was so much shit going on about him smelling people, you know? Yeah, sniffing hair. And- smell good. <laughs> what's, what's that about? Fucking the president likes to smell people. That's fucking hysterical, man. He uh, just said a I girl. I try to stay away. One of my favorite jokes that I, I've written on politics, you know, just one joke that I love on news. I go, how do you know when a politician's screwing you when they're actually pulling out? You know, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's my that's favorite joke that I've written on politics. I try to stay away from all that shit. You know what Beautiful. I mean? I want to do hardcore black and white comedy about the real deal, you know? And, you know, people get offended. You know, I, I'm old school. I grew up with a lot of old school people. Yeah. You know, and I have a joke out there about Puerto Ricans, you know, because I'm Puerto Rican, let's hear it. Yeah, you know why there's no Puerto Ricans in Star Trek? What's that? They don't want to work in the future either. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta mute this for a minute. I'm losing it. You know what I'm saying, man? So I have jokes on Greeks, I have jokes on Chinese, I have jokes. That's how we grew up, man. We grew up with fucking everybody was making fun of people, man. You know what I'm saying? Italians. You know, we grew up in a neighborhood. I was considered a greaseball, man. They used to laugh at me and say, you fucking greaseball. But, but we were all in harmony, whatever. That's what it was. Nobody got offended. I'm like, oh, so I worked my jokes, man. And I used my jokes on a lot of different places. People die laughing. I brought a ring and spread them, they die laughing. Like, that's fucking hysterical. Because that's how we were when we were kids. You know, like, you know, I, I do so. That's your problem. I'm not going to stop being a comedian, man. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, you know, black people too, white people, you know, black people. Only a black man can fuck up a free buffet. Ain't nothing free about this buffet. (laughs) I have a slave to be able to. Whatever. And white people too, you know what I'm saying? White people are the best. You know why? Because white people always give you up. The white people, like, if there's something going on, black people will be like, oh, Latinos, like, fuck you. We We ain't talking to the popos. We ain't talking to the police. White people are like, you know, honestly, sir, that person right there, he's the one that started everything. You know, certain white Here people, <laughs> hipsters, these little lip talks, you know, he's the one. The same ones that are talking about how they love black people, they're the first ones to flip on the black people. It was him right there. Watch my purse. You know, and, and it's always funny because you can see some, you know, white women when they're walking through crowds and they get to an area where there might be a Latino, blacks, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, their purse is like a football. Yeah. They're like a running back, you know, fucking like fucking Herschel Walker in that shit. Yeah, oh, okay. You know, so exactly, man. And you know what? We grew up with jokes that were like fucking hysterical, and that's how it was in the seventies and eighties. The people you got made fun of. You know what yeah. I mean? And you didn't always get picked on. You know, we played ball, 
and you were the last one to get picked on, and you had to put up with it. Now they give the trophies to everybody. Now you're like in the last place. Here's the trophy. Mm -hmm. Like, really? Back in the day, you didn't get picked. They were like, you suck. You yeah. gotta get better in your craft. Now it's like, oh, Bobby, and here's Bobby. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. You came in fifth place. Here's your trophy. Yes. Fifth fucking place, I get a trophy? Fifth place, you don't get shit. And exactly. You know, you went home and you cried and you wanted to get better. You tried better at it. You didn't get a trophy in fifth place. I was picked last before when I was in school. I, I will never forget this moment, and it's something that drove me to be the person I am today. I was in second grade, and we got put in a gym class, right? And, of course, you got the teams for dodgeball, and, of course, the popular kids pick the popular kids, the friends pick the friends and whatnot. And I was a little chubby kid at one point, and this is before I hit my growth spurt and I became the person I am now. But they were like, all right, I guess we'll take the nerd. And, and I was the last person. And that cut me to the core. And I'm like, you know, fuck this. The ball hit my hands, and I was just lighting people up. So next time. I was picked second, third, fourth, you know? But I wasn't last. You always I, have to make yourself listen, better. And people just give up now. They don't care. I, I moved into an Irish-Italian neighborhood. All the Greeks were going to Dittmar's in the story of Queens. I grew up in the heart of Irish-Italian and some Germans. Hmm. I slipped up. My mother, let me tell you something, okay? I couldn't speak a word of English. I mispronounced the word hamburger, and I said it. I said hamburger. I said it in a funny way. I was tagged hamburger for the rest of my life. Everybody be like, "Hey, hamburger!" You know how fucked up that is. You're talking to a girl, you're like, "Hey, hamburger!" Girls like, Can "Someone call you hamburger," and you got that quick. I'm like, "Nah, man, I'm Burger King. I'm Burger King." I'm like, "Oh, you know what I'm saying?" So it's like, and my mother used to dress me funny. She used to put slippers on me. I mean, and sandals. You know, like nice leather sandals. My mother's like, this is European. These are beautiful. I go, I want to wear tube socks. I want to wear tube socks. I'm, she's like, you're not going to wear tube socks with sandals? So we compromised. I put tube socks with sandals. I was like Dimitri and the Gladiators. I was all oh, my God. People, I was a character right up the top. And she used to, I had this shirt, Star Trek, with Spock in his ears, William Shatner, and I'm oh. wearing shorts with tube socks and stuff. I was, forget about it. I was like, and in Greece back in the day, they used to shave your head and leave like a little pouch in the front. Oh, and my yeah. mother's going to cut my hair like that. And people would look at me and be like, you little pussy, you know, little bush over here, you know what I'm saying? And I grew up in a tough neighborhood. You know, they and in my mind, I'm like, you know, like hamburger and all this shit. I'm like, fuck you. And I was brawling because I didn't know any matter. That's how it was. You got your ass kicked. You went home. You didn't say nothing to your mother, your father, your president. You kept it to yourself. So there was no privilege growing up when I grew up in the 70s, especially Irish-Italian neighborhood. Okay. And those Irish kids and their fathers used to love to drink. And, you know, I used to get, forget about it. And later on, I grew up, and that's how it was, man. And, and that's how the neighborhoods were, you know? And it was reality. You want to play, you had to get better. That's it. They didn't pick you. They said, fuck you. You suck. And that's it. You know what I mean? Do you think this is the phase? Because I'm going to ask you a question here. I want you to put on your futuristic cap on, right? And I want you to tell me, 10 years from now, do you see us getting out of this? you think this is a phase? Where do you see us all? Do you think we're going to get back to the fun life? Do you think we're just going to keep going down this path for a bunch of weak fucks? Or what do you think? I think people are always going to be afraid of the COVID. I think anybody in this 50s, late 50s, 60s, they're, always, they're going to have that fear that they might catch it and die. That's the bottom line. And also, 
how can we possibly go back to that, get to a level where everybody's comfortable where the vaccination has a lot to do with it as well. There's so many people that don't want to get vaccinated. Yeah. You know, the FDA hasn't fucking approved it. I don't want to talk. But do I think? I don't know. All I know is years from now, you know, the younger generations, they're going to be like, my grandfather lived during the pandemic. People were dying. They were stocking up in the corners. You had to wear masks. This yeah. had to get out. It was the dark ages. That's how they're going to refer to all this shit down the road. Mm. You know what oh. I mean? And, and, do I think it's going to fucking finally come together? I don't know. I don't think so, man. I really don't. I think that to this, there's still people out there walking around with masks and they've been vaccinated. Why the fuck are you wearing a mask if you've been vaccinated, man? Yeah. I don't get it. And Fauci, whatever the fuck is that, that oh, guy's hating okay. They can't stand that guy. You know, and he's the type of person that after his talk shows, whatever, now he got a deal, signed a book, no, he's not. He's the one that's taking his mask off and talking to people. The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy is so fucking big. You know what I mean? And they want to keep us in fear, man. Uh, Who the fuck knows what's going on down the road? You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, it's crazy, man. It it really, it's crazy. You know, there was a movie that Charlton Heston, you're kind of young. I don't know if you know Charlton Heston. Oh, I know Charlton Heston. Yeah, he was great. Ben-Hur, which they remade Ben-Hur. What a fucking joke. I hated that. At the end, fucking, they, they, you know, him and his fucking, the hater, they become friends and they go horseback ride together. Yep. In the original Ben-Hur, they couldn't stand each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, there was this movie, Soylent Green, where at so- the end, they're eating humans. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like people, that the, the one person finds out that Soylent Green is actually mm-hmm. humans. Yeah. We're fucking heading down that path, man. Believe oh, it or not, it's God. crazy, man. It's insane, man. You know, and and I I think that you know you know a lot of these globalists they they just you know they're doing it, man. They they, they you know they, people need to wake up. You know, oh, people God. need to smarten up, man. You got to smarten up and and face reality and say to yourself, you know, you know I care and I want to you know don't be like programmed, you know, like the sheep, you know. You know, I don't like the blinders. I like to think for myself, and I'm gonna. That's how I am. I've always been like that. My so I don't really know. To be honest with you, I, I hope so. But the way we're heading, I don't think so, man. I'm going to go a little bit older than that. and I'm going to go to a, a Twilight Zone episode, which I, oh, I think I sums it up. Show. Me oh, too. I, I do. Like my my passion project would be to do a side podcast just about Twilight Zone episodes and just have someone on every week to talk about every one of them because I, I Rod fucking, Sterling was amazing man oh, Rod Sterling was fucking the genius and you know he the was great. the actual fucking he wrote the script the Planet yeah. of the Apes you know that oh yeah yes oh yeah I know all about Rod Sterling his daughter I've actually been in contact with her to get her on the show really. I'm, Oh my okay. god, I'd love to. Like that is like a passion project of mine. It's just to have her on because I love the Twilight Zone. And the episode I wanted to talk about here, just just like not the deep dive into it or anything, but with all the aliens talk that's going on right now about aliens, we're seeing all the shit in the sky and whatnot. There was an episode called To Serve Man. Yeah, that's great. That's the best. Yeah, they were eating them. Come on out. We're serving you, motherfucker. Oh yeah, we are so naive and stupid that we let the government dictate how we live our lives. They told us yes. enough. Jackie Gleason, uh, oh. there's some articles out there that, you know, I, 
my facial expressions are, are similar to Jackie Gleason's. And I can tell. He's my idol. Growing up, I love Jackie Gleason. So when the movie was out, they wrote some articles. How you know uh, I love Jackie. So when I think Twilight Zone, it goes Twilight Zone and the Honeymooners. And okay. how lo and behold, they for years they had the marathons on both of them mm -hmm. during the New Year's. So I would switch, watch one episode. Yeah. on sci-fi of the Twilight Zone and switch to the honeymoon. Because these are two series that you can't come up with just one. It's like, you can't. It's impossible. One's mm -hmm. better than the other. There's not one episode that sticks out that you could say it's the best. In mm -hmm. the Twilight Zone or in the honeymooners. But that was great. I love to serve man. That was brilliant. It was so... And at the end, you know how it is. You know, I mean, he was a genius. I mean, yeah, one of my favorite ones also is with the gangster. When, like, you know, he's like... The one who was changing the faces? Guy, yes. What? The guy who, like, could change his face? No, no, not that one. You know which one? The one where he's in heaven and he breaks and all the balls go in. All the girls love him. He wins at poker. He does everything. The gambler. Yeah, fuck this. He goes, hey, hey you yeah. know what? What's going on here, Pop? He goes, every time I break the ball, they go in. I went. He goes, hey, this is happening. He goes, I don't want to be in heaven. Fuck heaven. Like, uh, he goes, who said you're in heaven? You're in hell. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. There's so many like that. And there was this one, the guy who was like a pool, uh, he was like a pool shark. And he was like, Jack I can't believe it. From the odd couple, I think he played that one. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 then he kept calling the guy fat, and the guy came back. He's like, "You sure you want to play?" He's like, "How about we up the stakes? Let's play for your soul." And then, only, yeah, oh my god, the Twilight did Zone. You like, did you like the Hustler? Yes. The oh. Hustler, Paul Newman, and Jackie Gleason. Unbelievable. See, my dad was into all that stuff, and he passed it right on down to me. So I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, there's a there's a line with Fast Eddie Feldman, Paul Newman. He's on the hustle. He's doing the hustle, and he's drinking because he was a drinker also. And he's looking at Jackie Gleason and his partner, the guy that funds the money. So he's looking. He's like, Eddie, are you sure you're okay? And Eddie Feldman is so fascinated with Jackie Gleason's fingers, and he's like, look at the way he wraps that stick with his little sausage fingers. Those little, <laughs> and fucking one of the greatest lines of all time. Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. He was fucking amazing on that fucking movie. Oh my god, the hustler was fucking. Oh my, that. The Cincinnati kid, you know, with, with uh, what's his name, uh, Steve McQueen. Yep. The great fucking movies, man. That's another thing that I'm very upset about. The great screenwriting. Screen, they, they don't make, everything is fucking flying. Superman, Wonder Woman, fucking Iron Man. Give me a mm -hmm. break. Where are the great scripts, man? Yeah. And, and that's something else that bothers me, too, because you just mentioned a bunch of superheroes. And... I'm, you know, I'm a young Puerto Rican man. I'm 38 years old, right? So I, I, You're I, Puerto Rican? Yes, sir. Holy shit, you love my show. This I thought it was song. great. I had to mute the microphone and, <laughs> and, and left because I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying because it was that funny. And people just don't know how to laugh at themselves anymore. Everyone's so goddamn uptight. It's like they're all walking around with cucumber shoved up their fucking assholes. And, and it's really annoying. You know, my, my friend Julio, one of my favorite friends, Puerto Rican, before, yeah. you know, I want to hear what you have to say, but... You know, old school Puerto Rican, and the, the the funny thing is, like, you know, we talk, you know, he's old school, and we talk about how, like, you know, back in the day, and, and he was like, you know, uh, you know, something, Greg, you know, today I'm going to take off, I'm going to relax, I'm not going to go to work, I'm just going to enjoy the day. I'm like, Julio, you ain't got a job. I'm like, Julio, <laughs> he's like, oh, you fucked up, Greg. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, you're, you're, you're fucked up. You're always trying to put me down, man. I work every fucking day, man. 
And what do you want? He goes, I work, all right, for the people. I work for the imagination. I work in the department of imagination. I go to the department of imagination. I go, it seems like there's a little procrastination going out the department of imagination. There's too much masturbation, you know. So we joke about that, you know, and then I tell them the punchline is, now I know what it's not going to be to start you. They don't want to work in the future either. You know? I love that so, one. That one. So, you know, I, some of my best friends are part of me. I grew up with them, you know what I'm saying? It was really hysterical, you know. But, yeah, getting back to what you're saying, like, the old stuff. That, so you grew up with all that stuff. Okay. Well, I think it was like I, I, I grew up with it, and I just feel like I feel privileged in a way because the kids growing up now will never have that experience. At least that's the way I see it because I see the future differently than you. I see a future where if the Democrats keep power and they keep doing what they're doing, they keep pushing these agendas down the road where it's racial separation and, hey, you know, if, if you're vaccinated, you drink in this fountain. If you're not vaccinated, you drink out of that fountain. I just feel like we're just going to have a world where everyone is just accepting to the point of nauseating, where it's just like you can't laugh anymore. You can't laugh at yourself. You can't laugh at other people. I think that's what brought us together originally. And the thing about comedy is I feel like comedy is great because I was watching Eddie Murphy. I watch Eddie Murphy raw and delirious every week. And I have a few drinks in me or I'm smoking a little something or I have an edible in me or whatever. And I laugh and I look at the crowd when Eddie Murphy says a racist joke or what they would call now racist. You pay into the crowd. You got white people putting their arms around black people. Everyone's laughing and having a good time. And, and, and you can just tell that there's a special thing going on there. And they don't want that anymore. So I feel like we're just going down this dangerous path where you can't say anything without offending someone. And it's, it's not fair. We're going just to a shitty place and it sucks. You're right. You're 100% right about that. And it's very sad. You know, and uh, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you great, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, because my phone was like, I don't know why, hold up one second. It's like 20 to one second, let me see something. Oh, absolutely, go Okay, go. it's being, okay, it's charging. Oh, sure, that's fine. Hold up, let me get back to it. All right, hold up. All right, can you hear me now? I can hear you great. All right, great. So, yeah, uh, I charged it. So I can yeah, and the episode, listen, um, yeah, Cincinnati Kid, that, and mm -hmm. look at the the television series that we had back then. Everything now is that, uh, what is it, that family, the Kardashians, reality TV, all that shit. I grew up on fucking, you know, like, I Dream of Genie, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Monsters, all that stuff. What I would have done to get into that bottle, anybody, oh my God, I Dream of Genie, all that stuff. And it was funny stuff, it was great stuff. You can't say shit like, all in the family, Oh. the shit that he used to say yeah. you know but people no. laughed people laughed you know why you didn't have the people that we have today that's bad mm -hmm. it's the potato all of a sudden it's racist you know yep. uh, this Eskimo bars or that, the Washington Redskins come on it's getting to the point that it's so bad and you're right people are getting programmed and you know what it's confusing everybody man yes. children today you know a lot um, you know, I don't care you're gay or whatever you are. That's on you. But trying to force people like, you know, like, you know, you, you can't have a gay person. You know, uh, if your daughter let down the road, you think it's OK for a little gay boy to be sharing that bathroom with her? I, I don't know, man. No, no. You know, whatever the case is, it's really getting bad, man. I, I identify with what you're saying. And mm -hmm. again, 
it's the media, it's the left, you know, they constantly want to keep us at war and, and they're getting funded by a lot of fucking people with money, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to get into that, but you know exactly what I'm talking about because exactly. it's the funding that's doing all this shit. You know, during the city riots, you know, they found pallets and pallets of bricks and shit like that. Yes. that they couldn't even trace the companies. They were like, Who's leaving these bricks in the middle of the fuck? And these people were taking them and smashing windows. Where did these bricks come from? Who bought it? Who paid for them? Mm-hmm. It was crazy. You know, given... It, it's, it, it, yeah, you're right. And you know what? That On that point, what you're saying is I see that also. Because the more that happens, it's not going to come back. And we're going to live in a society without laughing, and it's going to be scary. It's funny, too, that you mentioned that, because there was a couple of videos that I saw online where you would see the police actually setting the bricks up. So it's like, what the fuck is going on? A van pulled up. And they defund the police. Really? And it's funny because there was a couple, there was an incident where one of the protests was defund the police and then he got beat up and he's like, police, help! You just scream and defund the police. Now you want to be, how fucking hysterical is that? Defund the police! And it was like, police, help! Crazy people, man. Insanity. Insanity. And, uh, you know, back in New York City, back in the day, you walked into like, a, you know, uh, Central Park or even like, you know, Washington Square Park and people come up to you like, hey, um, you know, uh, pot, coke, pot, coke. They whisper, you want to buy some. Now it's like fucking, hey, Viagra, Viagra, uh, Prozac, Prozac. <laughs> they push it on people, you know. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, man. The times are changing. They want to change everything. They want to. They're calling like I'm in Harlem. About a couple of years ago, I was doing a show, the Mocha Club, with Suave Perez. He was out there, and and uh, this lady was screaming across the street to one of the comedians. She's like, "Hey, hey, Soho, Soho!" And I, I'm like, "Soho, that's Soho is downtown. You're in Harlem right now." And the comedian turns around, looks at me, she goes, "Oh no, she means South Harlem, Soho, oh, South Harlem." Give me a fucking break, bro. Mm. They want to rearrange, call everything differently. Like, that's, that's why when you see the pizza, the slice, mm. I want you to watch that. You're going to die laughing. It's fucking pretty. We got so many comments because they want to change pizza and I'll leave pizza alone, man. It's, we, I couldn't believe how the comments alone that I read, people were eating it up. They were loving it because a nerd wants to change pizza, you know? How do you change pizza, bro? Fuck you. Leave pizza alone. There's there's certain things you just don't fuck with, and pizza is definitely one of them. But Greg, I, I I have a couple more questions for you here in, in closing because I mean I, I've had a lot of fun here and I've laughed more than I've yeah, laughed. Me too. A lot of laughs. Unbelievable, and you're a, a fantastic guest. And I just want to say that here before I ask you this. Uh, so just a couple of questions here in closing. Um, yeah. I just want to ask you here, and you don't have to name any any names. Obviously, we're not going to ask you to do that. But are there any comedians? And like I said, don't name any names in private that are maybe hiding some things that they really want to say only because they want to hit that next level. A they want to be on TV. Like, what are those conversations like? A lot of them. A lot of them. Tons of them. Mm. They're, like, afraid. And they'll tell me, they're like, yo, you're crazy. You're like, you know, you got to be careful. I'm like, listen, if it happens, it happens, man. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, they want to talk about this and talk about that off stage. They don't want to get on stage. They don't want to be funny. They want to yeah. be this secret agent comedian, which is all fucking bullshit. You know, I know you have a lot of people out there and and, and you might have venue owners that are going to hear this. You want to book a comedian that really talks about who he is? That's me right here, you know. 
and also through my talent, my my representatives that booked me for the show, Madden uh, Talent Agency. I appreciate them. But I'll never stop being me. You know what I mean? That's the bottom line. And there are a lot of comedians out there that, yes, they actually, uh, you know, they get off on stage where they have to be very careful about what they say. And, you know, I mean, again, we're not talking about, oh, you know, like, you know, saying something racist or whatever, but just going against what's going on today. Somebody got to be careful. You got to be careful because, you know, if you're too much, if you're conservative, you're not going to get booked. Exactly. So maybe I'll get booked by conservatives. You know what I'm saying? What can I tell you? You know what I mean? But yes, there are a lot of comedians out there, plenty of them. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, we almost have to come up with our own medium. So we have to have our own you know, like like networks. You have you have YouTube, you've got Facebook, you've got Instagram. They're all left leaning. We need our own where people that are like us are like throwbacks to a different time where you can say offensive things and laugh about it. Have conversations about differentiating, you know, like a, just different beliefs or, or, or religions or politics or anything like that. And just come together in, in, in a fun medium. And that's where comedy comes in. I feel like you are doing a service to people by being honest and just saying jokes and making people laugh. And that's what comedy was supposed to be. It's supposed to be about just forgetting about the, the trials and tribulations of life and just coming together and having a few laughs. And we took that out of it. And I wanted to ask you about the political affiliations with, with, with politics. Do you think that's going to be something that's going forward where it's like people have to push their agendas in their comedy, where it's not funny anymore and it becomes more of a lecture or do you think we're going to get back to just telling jokes? Do you see that being something in the forecast? Listen, again, I think uh, being who you are and talking about comedy in the moment, about life and stuff like that, is always going to be something good. Again, with political comedy and other people that are actually, you know, afraid to go out there and speak on their own, like, you know, what are you going to do? Do you want to reach that fame level? You got to be careful about what you're saying and all that stuff. You know what I mean? That, that's the price that you have to pay. You want to be yourself and be funny or you want to be somebody else and then possibly slip one day and say something and you're like, oh man, I should have and then regret it that I should have been who I am right from the get-go. You know what I mean? But that's what it's all about. You know, I, I try to stay away from the politics and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Again, I want to talk about the hardships in my life. People love to laugh and people try. I mean, New York, especially growing up in New York. In New York, you can be standing on the corner. Somebody walks by, slips, bangs their head, and people laugh. They think that's funny. Where in other fucking states, they're like, are you okay? Oh, my God. But that's how New Yorkers were raised, you know, especially. And parts of Jersey as well. And it all it depends on the person themselves, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, as a comedian, you know, you have to be you. And, uh, and Richard Jenny was him, Andrew Dice Clay for a long time. He spoke about who he was and, and what it was all about and so forth. And there's other great comedians like, you know, uh, Roseanne Barr, she, got, she lost her comedy because she said something. And other comedians have said shit and they kept their stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, who's at loss here? We lose as people. We don't get to have these people and, you know, make us laugh and and do all that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, again, like you, I'm grateful that you have a show that you talk about what you want to talk about. And imagine somebody tells you, hey, nerd, we don't want you asking these questions. Like, fuck off, man. Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's what it's all about. And 
you know, and that's it. I'm going to always continue to be me. That's it. That's the bottom line. I love being me. You know, for a long time, I didn't like me and I was dying. Mm-hmm. You know, I found my side in yourself. You know, I found myself at 48. You know, for a long time, I oppressed this person and who I was through alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. But today, I'm living my dream. And being on shows like this makes it all worthwhile where I'm enjoying myself and having fun. So, exactly. You That's know what a- I'm saying? So, you know, uh, Carolina, most likely, I, I just got to find some small theaters, art theaters out there. Uh, I could book myself because I have booking people that I work with and, you know, they book the theater and then we promote, you know, on social media and in local areas. So I'm always looking for, you know, uh, art center theaters, like 250 seats, 300, if you know of any, whatever. We'll stay in touch. You know what I'm saying? This has been a great fucking show. I'm really grateful to have met you. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, Being old school is what it's all about to me. You know, I think it's a lot of fun. You know what I mean? And I had a great time, and thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, me too, Greg. This has been amazing. I mean, I, I've had a lot of fun with you today, and and, and I just want to thank you because it, it's not too often. And I know a lot of people use this as an outlet because they can't hear stuff like this anywhere else. It's always yeah. you have to walk this line. You got to be straight down the middle. You can't say things outside of what we want you to say, otherwise you're in a bad place or you're canceled or you're done for. No one's ever going to be my boss. I'm sorry. I, I I like what we do here. I like what you do. I like what the people that we have on the show do. We have a, a strict policy for bringing people on the show. You just got to be you. You got to you got to be real. I don't want to hear any fake shit. I want to hear how you really believe. If it's different than what I believe, then that's fine. We can talk and agree to disagree and be friends afterwards. But right, conversations like this need to happen. Good for you, man. I'm really happy that I met you. You know, and yeah. uh, I can't wait. Send me the link and the poster, whatever you have, like you said. You know, yeah. and I'm gonna expose it. I want to put it all out there with all my fans. I'm Absolutely excited to hear this, and uh, thank you so much, man. Sure. Last question: uh, Where can people find you? Okay, so Links, on Instagram, you can find me at Greg Criticos at Greg Criticos G R E G K R I T I K O S. Same thing on Facebook: Greg Criticos G R E G K R I T I K O S. Last Saturday of every month, I'm at Broadway Comedy Club. I also do shows. Uh, well, Caroline's has opened up again. I'm usually at Caroline's. Danger feels shut down, but I'm always all over the New York uh, circuit and uh, coming to a state near you soon. You know, I'll be uh, touring in Ohio. One second, I'll tell you exactly what date that would be. I'm oh, in Ohio in July 15, 16, 17, and 18. I'll, I'll be in Cleveland touring out there. Uh, Crap Shots Comedy Club. So I'll be there. And uh, in the story, I got July 22nd, I'll be at Ammonia Cafe in the story of Queens. And then I'll be in College Point the 24th, July 24th. And I'm all over the place. Just find me on Great Criticals, G-R-E-G-K-R-I-T-I-K-O-S, on Facebook and at Great Criticals on Instagram. And I got movies out in, in the... On uh, Netflix, I got uh, The Brawler, I got Vicky and Johnny, I got uh, Tomorrow's Today, which is Charlie Boy as well. So I'm all over the place. Uh, Greek, uh, New York's funny man, Greg Criticos. I'm glad that you got to laugh a little bit. You made me laugh as well. I laughed and, a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's I'm... what it's all about, man. This has been a real treat, and I hope to meet you in person one day. Uh, my goal is to, as a matter of fact, we were talking about Carolina. Oh, yeah. Carolina. Definitely do a show out there. 
We will definitely make something happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York funny man, Greg Criticos, the funniest guest we've ever had on this show. And thank you for not making fun of my appearance, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Have a good one, bud. All right, buddy. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Podbean.com. Yes, Podbean.com. Have you ever wanted to get your voice heard by millions upon millions of people around the globe? Are you too dumb to start up your own website professionally? Are you too dumb to start up your own podcast? Are you so dumb that you don't know? <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you me? Because that's basically me describing myself. You know, when we got into this podcasting game about two years ago, um, it was very hard to find a good platform out there, someone that gave us the voice and the opportunity and the tools to make our dreams and vision become a reality. Well, let me tell you something. Podbean.com made it simple, easy, and effective, cost-effective, very cheap to sit there and get your voice out there. And I know the time all that is you get what you pay for, but in this case, you get 10 times more than what you pay. I mean, these guys are getting, like, we're robbing them, basically. And I'm going to tell you something, man. You better jump in on this deal now because right now everyone's at home. Everyone's got a lot to say, a lot of things in their mind. Podcasts are popping up all over the place, and there's no better place than Podbean.com to start your own podcast. They make everything easy. Even a dumbass like myself was able to make a website, can produce a podcast, can put things out there, and just have all sorts of different outlets. And they make it simple for you to get on you know, Apple and all the big shots like Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, all these other big-name places that you can get your podcast seen and heard. They do it for you, and they make you <laughs> just basically walk through baby steps through this process. I mean, they make it so simple and easy. And to sweeten the deal, if you go to www.podbean.com slash vompodcast10 that's vompodcast10 using our code they're going to give you five free hours of podcasting space to see if you like it which you will and if you don't no harm to you there's no risk tons of reward just to try it out so give it a shot www.podbean.com slash vompodcast10 and get your voice heard